Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I was watching your Triple J chemtrails over the country club. Oh, yes. And... You were talking in the interview after it that you love how, or you think that great pop music is both aesthetically pleasing, but it's also kind of deeper if you want to dig into it? I was, yes. <laughs> Which comes first for you when you're writing? Well, that's a difficult question because I suppose it depends on where you, where you think depth comes from. Like, it's not like you come up with something, something shallow and then try and make it deep, or you come up with something deep and then try and make it shallow necessarily, but it's just like... I think if something really resonates aesthetically, then it probably has some kind of meaning behind it anyway. I've never really thought about that, to be honest. That's a, this is a really interesting question. I just find it difficult to, maybe it's in reference to some pop music that is formulaic and algorithmic, and that is based on only aesthetics. There is a way of diluting meaning and to, to extract just the aesthetics, and I don't particularly like that kind of music, if you know what I mean, like ticking the conventions of a genre boxes or whatever. Yeah, the kind of pop music that tends to be very producer-driven. You know, someone has a style and an artist goes in and works with them and you kind of know what you're going to get. Yeah, and it's not to say that that isn't an art form in itself, but I suppose when you're when you, it's like it's like the difference between art and craft or something. Like it's good to practice the craft and the painting technique and all that stuff, but it's not quite enough to create a meaningful piece of art. There's something more to a meaningful painting or whatever, whether it be the subject or the intention or what people get from it, um, or the layers or I mean metaphorical layers, layers. But yeah, I've never really thought about whether which comes first. Sometimes. Yeah, sometimes probably one, sometimes the other. It's interesting what you were saying there as well about the difference between art and craft. Would you ever write songs that are just kind of honing your craft, but then you wouldn't release them? Songs that are just kind of exercises that you learn from? Yeah, all the time. Uh, I think lots of people who are, you know, I guess serious songwriters that I know 
I kind of have learned that from that you don't just there's this like myth of this magical song that's like I guess a gift from the muses and they do exist like you know they just appear and in five minutes they're written and they're often like some of the best songs that the artist has but you don't get like 50 of them just thrown at you if you're kind of not sitting there ready getting ready and kind of showing your readiness for it so I think you're more likely to catch like you know when you're 17 and you catch it a tune floating along the air and there's this magic to that and a naivety and it feels like you didn't write it and you might not want to try too hard because you didn't try then so you don't want to ruin it or crush the spirit of the the magical song gift but (laughs) I think that all the good songwriters writers I know have realized that like you're going to be able to catch it better if you hone your writing skills and there'll be more and you'll you'll find more so yeah 100 percent, you write a lot of crap songs and sometimes they're only crap because you don't have the other right bits to go with them or or the right aesthetic or the right lyric or just one little thing tweaked can make it not crap so it's really fun going back to your first question it's really funny because it's like something can be quite shallow and meaningless to me like some bit that I've written that I would say honing craft and then years later I'll put it with something else and change one word and sing it in a certain style and it'll be given the satisfying depth that I think I uh, that I find convincing enough so yeah it's just degrees really that differ between something good and something (laughs) shit (laughs) sometimes (laughs) in context were there any were there any moments like that on this EP for you where your perception of something suddenly changed when you framed it in the context of something else yeah well um the, would you throw a diamond was a perfect example of that like that was an old idea of my boyfriend's johnny's who was in like a bluegrass band when he was younger and it was kind of like a country he was really into country and like particularly female country artists when he was a kid so he was very intro- influenced by that traditional sort of tragic romantic country songwriting that idea was like that and he like just forgotten about it almost it was like never gonna be see the light of day kind of thing and then he kind of just had this moment where he was like I wonder what it sound like if you sang this idea that I've had like a long time ago and I was like yeah that's really great I really like it but it was a bit slow and like not really the style that I thought suited me I thought it would sound good if we obviously had to change the key and I wanted to add some – we sped it up and made it more punky and I wanted to add some parts because it was a bit too short and it felt like it needed the the final kind of piece to make it about what it was about for me, for me to feel convinced to sing it. And so that was definitely about something that would have been thrown away if it wasn't uh, rejigged and reclaimed later. Like a diamond in the dirt, that's what the line is. <laughs> So, yeah, that one for definitely has completely transformed since its original inception. All of them to an – no, not all of them, not all of them. Some of them were newer and they were written quite quickly. And then the the drip, the title track, was like a collection of lines that I'd just been writing down on napkins while I was working in a cafe in – or CAF, as you call them, in Edinburgh. <laughs> 
And so none of the, those were all just like almost thrown away ideas and I kind of did the Bowie thing and like put them together and kind of rearranged them and filled in the gaps and that made a song. So they could have all been discarded lines. Was any of that written in Australia as well? Because it feels like you have references to both Scotland and the other side of the world. Yeah, it? It's really funny because like people always think that you have to be somewhere to be writing about it. It's like it's not really like that. Like you can be – I'm often writing about somewhere that I'm not, like in a longing sort of way or a reflective way. But are you talking about the EP or that song? I guess both. That song in particular as well, though you've got – like Drizzle on the Window and Lucas Aid, and then you're talking about Shantytown's like a few lines down from that. Yeah, the Shantytown was more of a metaphor. It wasn't like I was actually visiting a Shantytown. But, um, it kind of feels like an Aussie expression, though, if you know I what really, I mean. I, when I say Shantytown, I think um, like the slums, but I don't really know where. You know what? You, it might be an Aussie expression. It Obviously, it was influenced by be, me being Australian, but like I wasn't envisioning anywhere in particular with that line. Uh, I w- it was put together here, so I kind of I collected all the lines over the year that I lived in Edinburgh, and then I forgot about it because I'd just like chuck them in a shoebox and under my bed every time I got home from work. Completely forgot about the shoebox, and then when we moved back, I kind of found it again and was like, "Oh, these lines from Edinburgh." And so I had more of a like a I don't know an idea of hindsight of how I felt about that trip. It's still not it's not a narrative like. Most of my songs aren't narratives that you can say, this is about this and this is about this and this was written here. But there's like little moments that are like that. So I tend to have to tell people that it's about that because they need some kind of clear story to <laughs> to put in a blurb. <laughs> so, you know, you'll read somewhere, like I'll say the exact opposite to what I'm saying. Like this Unholy Widden tour was, was definitely um, inspired by my first day in Scotland. But I talk about Australian winter in it, which is funny because it was definitely inspired by the Scottish winter. Is that because you were longing for it slightly now that you're on the other side of the world? No, no. I was kind of like leaving it behind in a bit of a – it's weird. That song to me feels like a little bit of a breakup song but not with anyone in particular, like not like not really with like a partner or anything but with like a, a scene or – Maybe my band, I can't work it out. Not that I ever broke up with my band, but it was a little bit of a goodbye of, yeah, like a maybe a, a little bit of a incestuous uh, existence that we were getting into that we were kind of like, let's get out of here and, in Sydney and um, just try something new. So it was a bit of a new chapter kind of song and just sort of wanting to be left alone. <laughs> <laughs> Um, which I was a lot in Edinburgh and I really I was going to say that's an extreme way of doing it traveling halfway across the world just to get a little bit of peace and quiet Mm, it wasn't I didn't realize it was that but it kind of was that it is an extreme way of doing it but sometimes you just can't say no to people especially in like your hometown where you know everyone and we were living above a pub where all our friends drank and used to come back and jam and have you know benders and stuff like in our bedroom and it was too hard to get out of there because it was free rent so we kind of had I think I had to sell it to my boyfriend with like a let's move to Edinburgh like look at these beautiful pictures (laughs) so (laughs) like romanticize the overseas um element of it I think 
Your dad's Scottish as well, right? Yeah, that was why it was, I was always drawn to it. I think I'd probably live in Glasgow if I come back. I just wanted to, we just loved, the, you know, we love, Edinburgh's so fucking pretty that it's like, for an Australian, it's the opposite kind of pretty to what we get. So we had to do it, like in a touristy way, how UK people will probably move to Sydney over Melbourne because Melbourne's a bit more similar. But um, if I go back, I think I'll do Glasgow because it's a bit more of a people city, I think. I think I actually did the same. I'm kind of from up in the north and I moved to Edinburgh before I moved to Glasgow. And I feel like it's a good stepping stone if you're kind of moving down into the main part of Scotland for the first time. Right. Yeah, yeah. What do you mean by stepping stone? Just like it's a little bit less of a culture shock. <laughs> I think it's a yeah, – yeah, probably. It's a little bit quieter and more polite than Glasgow, which if you're moving down into the heart of it for the first time can be a nice thing before you kind of yeah see, I feel that's like moving to I, Glasgow would be throwing yourself in the deep end a little bit maybe but I think that's what I actually needed and was sort of expecting because like that's what I like about the Scottish people whereas I found Edinburgh a little bit uppity and a little bit posh a little bit yeah, I don't know to say with too much money not like my dad yeah <laughs> <laughs> so my my family are very Glaswegian and I was sort of expecting that and every you know everywhere we went in Glasgow we made more friends in Glasgow than we did in Edinburgh it was a lot of people with it's I kind of like to call it a chocolate box city a little bit it's like a lot of people with a lot of money and most of them are quite old <laughs> you don't see a lot of youth culture there I know they have universities but like it, it's just not as obvious for an outsider to kind of infiltrate Whereas in Glasgow, they were just particularly friendly and uh, maybe it was a music connection as well. We just knew more people there more quickly. It just made it just made sense to us. Glasgow's more of a city as well. Yeah. Like, because it's so much bigger, there's, it's easier to kind of, for a sense of community to exist there and the little kind of pockets of different people. Totally, totally. How, uh, how long did you work in the cafe for? Probably about six months or something. I was, I was, we lived there for 10 months, but I got trapped over here for a short time on a holiday that lasted for a really long time so yeah i think six six to eight months probably what did you kind of gain from that going back into that working environment for a short period outside that of music? i suck at hospitality <laughs> <laughs> uh, which i already knew but i just needed to be reminded and I kind of, I gained my first EP and actually a fair bit of my second, actually, because I'd sort of been floating around, not having much to do with my other band that had been my life for about 10 to 12 years at that time. And um, maybe just 10, I don't know when this even was, but yeah, that was my main life and identity and it was my income and it was everything. And that kind of stopped and I was pretty, like, lost for a while. And so going back into a real job, it was kind of like, fuck, I've got to get back into music. This isn't for me. <laughs> and within I'd been kind of, um, what's the word, sound searching and trying to find my solo sound for a while and like, sort of soul searching as well for quite a few years. And then within a month of working in a cafe, I was like, here's an EP worth and my boyfriend sent it to his <laughs> label and they were like, here's a record deal. And I was like, great, get me out. And do you know what? I loved working there. Like as far as the people and the actual place, it was amazing and it had so much personality and the food was amazing. But 
I just am not made for that kind of routine. I need to, like, travel and obviously write songs. You said that when you kind of moved away from the band, you realised, or that had basically been your identity for the 10 years. What did you learn about your identity when you came out of that? I think that's also why I wanted to go to Edinburgh, because a lot of that Haley from the Jezebel side of me was caught up in Australian industry and Australian music scene and that kind of thing. And we'd done a bit overseas and, like, a couple of people knew me from the band there, but it wasn't anywhere near as much pressure um, to be that person or to do what people would expect that person to do next. So um, I discovered, like, you know, all of the all of the opposite sides of myself that had not really been seeing the light of day in, in the Jezebels. Because, you know, a band is like a four or however many members you have, four-way marriage where you have to sort of compromise on most things to keep everyone feeling satisfied like they want to be there. So you can't just do everything you want and you can't just say everything you want and you can't represent the band, you know, any way that you would like. You have to kind of think about everyone. And so being the spokesperson for basically three other people, you tend to know where the, where the points are that you can go and where you can't and where you, where you differ. And, yeah, I guess I just discovered, rediscovered the parts of myself that hadn't really flourished over the last 10 years is there a little bit less pressure in being a solo artist than what you were sitting there about having to speak for three other people and does it kind of allow those other sides to come out as a result of that there's less pressure in that way but there's more pressure in in the fact that there's more responsibility because there's less brains going into the the artistic side and the direction and you know, I have to be across every single bit of instrumentation and every bit of production and every beat and every chord and every melody and, you know, because you're not working with people who are all equal collaborators. You're working with session players who you have to tell what to do. And there are some collaborations, but it's my name on it, so I can't just kind of turn a blind eye and let the drummer do his thing um, or have a break or anything. It's not just me and my lyrics and my melodies and ev- and the band does everything else. But, yeah, there's less pressure in, in how I present myself for sure um, and what kind of songs I do, you know. it's. I always say this. I feel like I've, I'm a bit of a broken record on this, but, like, a band is, well, what, uh, art. I hate that word. It's such a <laughs> wanky word. But anyway, <laughs> what a better word. Your art is kind of defined by your limitations as much as your abilities. And with a band, like, they provide the abilities and they provide the limitations. And you need the limitations as much as you need the abilities. So you've got someone's style and the way they play and then you've got the things that they don't like. And with four people, you've got four sets of abilities and four limitations. With one person, you've got one set of abilities, which is a lot less, um, and one set of limitations, which for me is also a lot less. So it's like, where do I go? I could go anywhere, but I don't have the ability to go anywhere. So it's sort of about collaborating and finding what your rules are, and you realise having rules is actually quite a gift (laughs) <laughs> and the fact that the band stopped me from doing going any which way was a gift and I need to kind of create my own 
infrastructure or scaffolding to to kind of draw the lines of what I don't do and that's 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 harder than acquiring new abilities I think it's double-edged sword I'm, I'm trying to learn more instrumentation and more songwriting techniques and all that stuff but then it's like which ones do I learn what genres can I do you know so I'm free falling like Tom Petty <laughs> but I think it's good I think there's a sweet spot for free falling in life were there any different rules that you set down for this new EP compared to the first one? I didn't really have any, any intentions on either of them that I can remember. It's just working. It's still the same thing for me. It's working in pro- with what's in proximity and then, you know, following my gut on what I like. So working with musicians that I, one, are my friends and I know so that narrows it down a fair bit and then kind of guiding them to do what I like. But it's not, there's no particular plan. I don't have like a very narrow set of references, but I do have a rough one that's like I like certain genres. Like I, I decided to stick to rock, but that was that was the same in the first one. So, no, and I, I don't, I think that's what I like at the moment is like I don't have these big concepts or, aims that I'm trying to achieve. I'm just trying to develop a sound by kind of subconsciously walking forward and hoping that it works out. (laughs) I'm still really quite, I'm still quite naive in this whole thing and what works and what doesn't. So it's kind of just what I like and can the people around me play it. Can you find a different kind of creative energy in that naivety though? Can it bring something to the process? 100%. Well, I picked up guitar not long ago, you know, only a few years ago. I used to play when I was a kid, way before the Jezebels, but I ditched it because I wasn't a great guitarist and we had a great guitarist, so I never really got much better. And then picking up the guitar must have been four years ago now, but not. I'm not some guitarist. I just use it to write and, like, I found that really inspiring because it was, like, you know, creating my own grooves and chord progressions and it was like sort of the zeal of a convert. So, yeah, there's definitely inspiration in the fact that I don't really know. I'm Like I'm quite new to this whole thing, even though I've been doing music for years. I kind of feel pretty naive and young in the head about it, which I think is good because I'm not, you know, I'm not exactly reinventing the wheel. So if... <laughs> with rock music so (laughs) if i was if i had any concern about the newness of it i might be able to very much um psych myself out but i don't because it's new to me and i've just sort of discovered this um way of doing things when you're in that space of learning a new instrument though i know that the melody guides you when you're writing does that make it a little bit easier to write on a new instrument yeah yeah i'm i'm a pretty classic style songwriter in that like I like things that feel a bit familiar that make you feel good I I very rarely try and be original um I think that was half of the problem I had with the Jezebels is that they were you know really good musicians that wanted to push boundaries a little bit like Radiohead or something Whereas I was like, but I like Belinda Carlisle and Dusty Springfield (laughs) (laughs) and Roy Orbison and just like classic feel-good melodies, which was a great dynamic because it pushed and pulled each other. But um, 
now I'm just, you know, it's I don't know much guitar, but most of the melodies I want to write pretty much work with three major chords. So it's not, you know, it's not rocket science. Do the chords you choose result in different kind of melodies? Can you see any patterns developing there? Yeah, 100%. So now, for ex- it's not every song's written the same, obviously. Like sometimes you've got a lyric, sometimes you've got a melody and gibberish. Sometimes you just pick up a guitar and that's a now a new way that I come up with stuff that I didn't particularly have before. It was always from my head and then I made it onto guitar, whereas now it's sometimes I just start strumming the guitar and I'll hear a melody from that. That sounds quite liberating. Yeah, no, 100%. And then like the next thing I did was this year with COVID, I took up a sound production class, a course, so that I could get into more of my own demoing and, um, you know, synths and drum beats. And and that, again, just adds more abilities and is more liberating, I suppose. So, yeah, new new skills, acquiring new skills is very liberating. When you were talking earlier on about, well, kind of what we're saying there as well about honing new skills, you were talking about how you're interested in different kinds of structures and looking at, you know, honing your craft with specific ones. What sort of structures were you looking at and what kind of structures were you, did you find yourself drawn to? Oh, yeah, I maybe I meant genres um, ah, in terms okay. of like, and that, and that does affect the structure a bit, but it more affects the style of playing for me. So, like, I, I might range from, like, there's songs on both EPs that I think you might call sort of, like, jangly Australiana kind of songs, which is, I don't know if you're aware of the rough genre that we <laughs> call Australiana, but it's kind of like, I guess it might be like our version of the Lars or something, It's but, like, storytelling, like, there's an artist called Paul Kelly that's a really famous sort of like our Bob Dylan kind of guy. And he does these kind of jangly guitar songs. There's a band called Go Betweens. These are kind of like quintessential Australian rock with a sort of sensitive storytelling thing to it. So Australiana is obviously a massive influence on me. And then there's like Americana as well in there, like your Springsteens and that sort of stuff. And then um, just straight up ballads, like classic rock ballads, even Britpop ballads i think there's also a bit of 70s kind of classic rock and disco and i tend to gravitate around those on that oh sorry and 80s new wave i tend to oh now i'm going back there's also a lot of influence in motown (laughs) and northern soul as well and like sort of madchester so there's a bunch of like different influences in there and but for some reason they all work authentically to me uh you know, you can hybrid between them. None of them are, like, completely conflicting with the other ones, you know, because they're all just rock. Um, Feel-good rock is kind of the the general over overarching consensus. And I was speaking to another musician whose opinion I quite value and I was quite worried about how many different types of songs I was writing before I put out the first EP. And he said, oh, don't worry, like, your voice is the unifying thing. And it's a solo artist, so who cares? Like pop pop artists do, particularly solo artists, kind of can do whatever they want. So I, I still think those genres that I named then are still all kind of pretty present in the second EP too and continue to be. But you can still, you can always add another one gradually, you know, as the body of work grows if you get into a different genre. 
would Australiana, did that kind of influence something like Young and Stupid, the way you kind of have that classic storyline that runs through the heart of that song? Yeah, a little bit. Australiana's probably more like the pub rock vibes of like the Piss the Perfume or even the Drip. But yeah, it does a bit in that, in the Young and Stupid. In, in all of it, there's a little bit of that, I reckon. Um, but for sure in that one. I don't know what even happened with that one. It just kind of, it was about the story, so it became so we didn't, like, have intentions. It just kind of happened. Did it start with you wanting to write a song about that specific story? Yeah, yeah. It started with um, the landline ringing in, um, in my boyfriend's house, like, right in the middle of COVID, like the worst of COVID. And I was like, what even is that sound? Like, you know when you hear a landline and you're like, what? Is that? Do you have a landline? <laughs> Who calls you on that? Like someone a psycho. Yeah. <laughs> and um, <laughs> and my boyfriend Johnny was like, "Oh, Nana, only Nana calls us on it." And we sort of had this like realization between ourselves that like how sad it would be when that landline stopped ringing because of what that would mean, you know, in that you know she she hasn't picked it up again, kind of thing, and but also just like a whole generation. Like when the last landline rings, it'll be probably because a certain generation is gone. And that was kind of it in the time of COVID being very, you know, we've had a lot of controversies around aged care and obviously they're a vulnerable group. Um, so that was quite poignant at the time. It would always be poignant, but it was particularly poignant then. So, and there was a piano there, so we kind of just decided to write a song about it pretty immediately. <laughs> Said nothing else to do. <laughs> <laughs> Does coming to that realization and thinking about that event in that way make you reflect differently upon your own existence and where you're at in life at the moment? Yeah, well, you saw how much of a luddite I was, definitely, <laughs> in the terms of you know dying with your generation's technology. Yeah, it's a fun. I've I've definitely observed like new technologies coming and myself just being like, what the fuck is this? But I've always been a bit like that. I was like that with Twitter and Facebook, even MySpace, I think. And so now I try and push myself to embrace them a bit more than is natural so I don't become a dinosaur and just die away. My, my granddad is really, um, really switched on. He's an engineer and he's quite technically savvy and he's always, you know, fixing uh, model aeroplanes that he's made or fixing the grandfather clock or he's, he engages with technology not that they sound like cutting edge technology but you know, he uses his phone and his computer and he's pretty good with keeping up and I think that's half the reason why he stayed alive till he was 96 you know he's still alive and maybe there's something to do there's something in not just sticking your heels in with your generation's technology. Yeah, it's the same thing when you see, you know, older people who keep working. As long as you have that purpose and you feel like you have something to get you out of bed in the morning and you feel relevant, 100%. you just keep going. And that's why, you know, there was a while there where I kind of stopped playing writing music and I was in a rock band and I wanted to write rock music, but then I kind of re-entered a world where rock music was basically, I was told, dead. <laughs> and I had no technological abilities to you know, keep up with the industry. And I've just spent the last kind of year teaching myself social media and teaching myself how to record songs on a laptop. And even just, even guitars are technology. Teaching yourself new technologies helps you 
I don't know, it helps you feel part of the world, I guess. Comes back to honing your craft as well, too. It Just does. Just new skills. Yeah, exactly. Upskilling. <laughs> we, haven't, uh, we haven't spoken about The Chain yet, which is the last song on the new EP. Yeah. Which is quite a dark climax. Yeah, I guess so. It's, um, I, I wanted to make it feel good and, like, kind of melodically... It's quite melodically happy, but it's just lyrically sad, I think. I don't know. Do you do you think it's melodically happy or do you think it sounds sad? I can't tell because I wrote it. Yeah, it's very bright melodically. Yeah, but you see it as a dark climax. Yeah, because I think I kind of tune into the lyrics. Right. So when you tune into them, you kind of... I mean, the he- what kind of headspace were you in when you were writing it? Because it feels very kind of well, down. That, yeah, it's pretty depressing. <laughs> I think that comes back to what I was saying before when in your f- sort of first question about like, you know, you d- sometimes I want there to be more than one angle or like what we often talk about um, is like happy, sad. Sometimes you c- it can just be like a singularly sad song, but sometimes I think it gives it more depth or something if if it's not just one-dimensional, like that 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 was a happy sad kind of frame of mind i was in even though the lyrics are really sad because i just um i just cancelled my f- first ep tour because of the first lockdowns and it was pretty like you know pretty shocking to us all i think that first kind of everything's closing all venues are closing you know nothing's going ahead my partner came in from the UK and he was the first plane to be locked down in quarantine. It was like, what the hell is going on? Like nothing kind of like that since maybe World War II <laughs> has probably happened and I wasn't in World War II. So that was the biggest kind of global event like I think most of us have seen. That's what everyone said. They all said it felt like wartime. Yeah. And I think that that was the sentiment of the song was that it was really sad, like the, possibly the most sad I could be, but the least alone I had ever felt. So it was a strange kind of dichotomy of like this feels like a trauma that connects us all, somewhat like a chain of, of traumatic events or even like a genetic chain or a DNA chain or just the human genome that connects us all, that makes us all traumatised by this. But we're all here so it's kind of weirdly as someone who gets depressed sometimes i think sometimes people who get depressed feel like they know this deep dark truth that no one else knows and for the for a moment there everyone else knew it and it was like ah i was right the world is fucked <laughs> but, but at least i'm not alone in knowing it for once so it was this, this really weird positive negative negative positive and you know you saw it like everyone started making all these kind of weird positive changes and getting things done that they hadn't gotten done and they were sort of weirdly enjoying lockdown but at the same time and and not taking things for granted and there was all these sort of strange silver linings about the worst thing that has ever happened so i think that was kind of where i was at with the song i wasn't as sad as i thought i should be and I also was really sad. Well, there's a bizarre kind of hope in realising that we're all connected, even though it's in such dire circumstances. Yeah, and there were beautiful things that came from it, you know, that wouldn't have happened. So it's that, yeah, just the obvious truth about life, that it's just ha- the happies come with the sads. And it becomes easier to navigate it after you accept that. Totally, totally. Totally.
it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm. 